The Avengers won the war but lost the argument. How our heroes doom our future. This is the last chapter in the book. In 2019, Avengers Endgame premiered in theaters. It was the second highest grossing movie of all time and the third most expensive movie ever made. It was the 22nd film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. To some, it may seem strange to include an essay about a superhero movie in a book about climate catastrophe. But I believe in the power of storytelling, for good or for ill. As the founders of the Dark Mountain Project have written, quote, is through stories that we weave reality, unquote. And movies are one of the ways that we tell our stories nowadays. The Avengers movies are by no means great movies, but they are important because they reveal what stories we are telling ourselves. The last two Avenger movies, Infinity War and Endgame, are about a struggle between the Earth's mightiest heroes, quote-unquote, the superhero team called the Avengers, and a villain named Thanos. Thanos believes that life has exceeded the universe's carrying capacity and wants to wipe out half of all life so as to bring things back into a state of balance. He explains his motivation in two conversations with the heroes. Gamora, you murdered half the planet. Thanos, a small price to pay for salvation. Gamora, you're insane. Thanos, little one, it's a simple calculus. This universe is finite. Its resources finite. If life is left unchecked, life will cease to exist. It needs correction. Gamora, you don't know that. Thanos, I'm the only one who knows that. At least, I'm the only one with the will to act on it. And then later, Doctor Strange, your home? Thanos, it was, and it was beautiful. Titan was like most planets. Too many mouths and not enough to go around. And when we faced extinction, I offered a solution. Dr. Strange. Genocide? Thanos. But at random. Dispassionate. Fair to rich and poor alike. They called me a man-man. And what I predicted came to pass. Dr. Strange. Congratulations. You are a prophet. Thanos. I am a survivor. Dr. Strange. Who wants to murder trillions? Thanos. With all six stones... I could simply snap my fingers, and they would all cease to to exist. I call that mercy. Dr. Strange, and then what? Thanos, I finally rest, and watch the sun rise on a grateful universe. The hardest choice requires the strongest wills. The Heroic Trinity Against Thanos are arrayed dozens of major and minor heroic characters from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But out of this universe of heroes, three are central to this conflict. Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor. To understand the conflict, it's important to know what each of these characters represents. Captain America represents unflinching optimism, faith in humanity, and the refusal to ever compromise one's ideals. Again and again, through the many movies leading up to the Avengers Endgame, Captain America refuses to stay down. I can do this all day, is his catchphrase delivered after getting up once again, Rocky-style, from what should have been a show-stopping pummeling. Captain America also represents American exceptionalism, writ large in the movies as human exceptionalism. The idea that the physical limitations of nature just don't apply to us. Captain America himself, himself was a scrawny weakling who, through the miracle of science, is transformed into a super-strong and super-agile hero. Iron Man, Tony Stark, 
represents human ingenuity with, and techno-optimism, the faith in our ability to solve any problem with the proper application of science and skill. As a billionaire playboy, he also represents capitalist individualism. In his unrelenting pursuit of technological innovation, Stark nearly destroys all of his relationships, see Iron Man 3, not to mention the world, see Avengers Age of Ultron. Ultron. Thor. Thor is normally is nominally a Norse god of thunder, but in the movies he's more of a Christianized godman wrapped up in the trappings of a pagan deity. The son of a wise father god, Thor is sent to earth to learn humanity or to learn humility and to become who he is quote meant to be, a sacrificial savior god who eventually becomes worthy of his divine inheritance. Thor then represents godlike power and the human potential to wield it. The villain, Thanos, represents death. His name actually means death in Greek. Or more specifically, the inevitability, I am inevitable, of death. Ernest Becker taught us that our hero myths are how we individually and collectively stave off the terror of death. Quote, It doesn't matter whether the cultural hero system is frankly magical, religious, and primitive, or secular, scientific, and civilized. It's still a mythical hero system in which people serve in order to feel uh, a feeling of primary value, of cosmic specialness. They earn this feeling by carving out a place in nature, by building an edifice that reflects human value, a temple, a cathedral, a totem pole, a skyscraper, a family that spans three generations. The hope and belief is that the things that humankind creates in society are of lasting worth and meaning, that they outlive or outshine death and decay. Unquote. Near the climax of the Avengers Endgame, this trinity of heroes, Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor, face off against the villain Thanos. Symbolically, then, this final showdown represents the three heroic myths of Western civilization, human exceptionalism, techno-optimism, and power worship, facing off against the inevitability of death. And they win, of course, because this is Hollywood. But do they really? Yes, they kill Thanos, and yes, they restore uh, to life the half of the population of the universe that had been wiped out by Thanos at the end of Infinity War. But ultimately, they fail to answer the philosophical and practical challenge posed by Thanos. Thanos was right. Thanos saw a universe populated by beings who had exceeded the limits of nature. As he saw it, there were only two possibilities— either voluntarily check the growth of life or let nature do it for us. Thanos chose the former path because the latter would involve incalculable more suffering. The Avengers movies are fiction, but the dilemma posed by Thanos is a real one. As Naomi Klein has written, quote, We are left with a stark choice. Allow climate disruption to change everything about our world or change pretty much everything about our economy to avoid that fate. But we need to be very clear. Because of our decades of collective denial, no gradual, incremental options are now available to us. Again, that was a quote from Naomi Klein, and this changes everything. The Marvel heroes reject Thanos' plan outright, but they fail to take responsibility for their consequences. They fail to even wrestle with the logic of Thanos' plan. No one actually says, much less proves, that Thanos was wrong. They call his solution insane, but they fa fail to face the insanity of unchecked growth within a closed system. The short-sightedness of the heroes is manifest when they restore everyone to life who's been killed five years earlier, 
instantaneously doubling the universe's population. As numerous critics have pointed out, after Thanos cut the population in half, the production of food and other necessities for sustaining human life would have been correspondingly reduced over the intervening five years. We're supposed to be glad that all those people get got restored to life in the finale, but who's going to feed them all? You can't ramp up the world's economy fast enough. Billions would die of starvation. But even if we chose to overlook that plot hole, the fact remains that the Avengers never adequately responded to the underlying problem, natural limits, and the human propensity to ignore them. Michael Dowd, audio editor speaking, this is where the work of Teddy Goldsmith um, and uh, William Catton, probably more than any other two authors that I can think of, um, are essential. <laughs> because of this, our world is looking increasingly like Thanos' homeworld, Titan. Every day, there is more news about the devastating impact of human life on the planet and increasingly dire predictions about what our future is going to look like. Three bullet points. A few months ago, I began noticing articles about shocking levels of decline among populations of insects, up to 98% in some places, and the animals that feed on them. Scientists are warning of a bottom-up trophic cascade that will surge through the food chain and eventually reach humans. Next bullet point. This past February, an article appeared entitled, Unless It Changes, Capitalism Will Starve Humanity by 2050. Even more shocking than the title was the source. The article wasn't published in some far-left periodical or even a liberal-leaning news outlet. It was published in Forbes magazine. Third bullet point. This past March, a NASA-funded study projected the collapse of global civilization in the coming decades because of a combination of stretching of resources due to the strain placed on ecological carrying capacity and the economic stratification of society. In, in, uh, into rich elites and poor masses. I have been noticing the word collapse appearing with alarming frequency, even in mainstream media. Dark Mountain co-founder Paul Kingsnorth recently noted that since 1970, there have only been two occasions when the world's greenhouse gas emissions have fallen rather than risen. The first was the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1990. The second was the near collapse of the global economy in 2008. The only thing in my lifetime that has come close to slowing down the ecocidal death machine that we call the global economy has been collapse. Paul Kingsnorth, Life versus the Machine, in Orion magazine. Kingsnorth concludes, quote, The collapse of the industrial economy is in all likelihood the only remaining way to prevent the mass destruction of life on Earth, unquote. This is the world we're living in. The Specter of Malthus. Admittedly, Thanos' solution is ham-fisted. To begin with, 50% is a completely arbitrary number. It's possible that the necessary reduction would be smaller, though it's probably larger. In addition, the 50% culling would not prevent the population from rebounding and needing yet another correction in 50 years. More importantly, the relationship between population and carrying capacity is complex. While population is an issue, the more immediate concern is consumption. It would have been much more efficient for Thanos to kill those who consume the most. He could have started with the top 1% of the population and then continued the culling with overprivileged countries like the United States. The wealthiest 10% of the world's population accounts for 59% of all the human consumption. Americans 
constitute only 5% of the world's population, but consume some 24% of the world's energy. Any suggestion that we limit human population tends to be labeled Malthusian, a reference to the late 18th century economist Thomas Robert Malthus, whose name has since become a byword. And any invocation of Malthus today is meant to be an argument ender. Predictions of mass starvation by Malthus and neo-Malthusians like Paul Ehrlich, the population bomb, have so far turned out to be wrong. Due to the modern technology, we are now feeding more people than ever, and the global standard of living continues to rise, albeit not uniformly. But at what cost? Ehrlich's 1968 predictions were narrowly avoided by the so-called Green Revolution, but industrial farming with its non-renewable fertilizers and chemical pesticides has wreaked havoc on ecosystems around the world. Today, industrial agriculture is one of the biggest contributors to climate change. As Charles Mann writes in The Wizard and the Prophet, if just 10 fish remain in a pond, the solution to running out of fish is not more efficient nets. Instead, what we need above all and above and beyond all else is a change in our relationship with nature, unquote. Thanos bats last. After Infinity War hit theaters, numerous articles appeared arguing that Thanos was wrong and compared Thanos to Malthus. Even more appeared after Endgame. Many of them argued that we haven't yet hit the limit, that we haven't exceeded the carrying capacity of the planet yet. But this argument just kicks the can down the road. If we can agree that there is a limit, then we must agree that at some point we have to alter our behavior to conform to those limits. And the latest science tells us that we have already passed several of the planetary boundaries for sustaining human life. Audio editors note Michael Dowd speaking. Um, uh, I don't think John Halstead has read Catton's Overshoot. Uh, I actually interjected that uh, earlier when I was reading um, because Catton makes the point that <laughs> the signs that you have overshot the carrying capacity is when there's a degradation of the living world. We've been doing that massively for, uh, well, thousands of years, but especially the last 300 years. We are in Overshoot. Again, William Catton's book, Overshoot, is the most important book I've ever read in my life. Other commenters answered Thanos' challenge by suggesting that we can transcend natural limits. Quote, The overpopulation concept also assumes Earth has limited resources due to a carrying capacity, but that, but that might be irrelevant because humans are able to use artificial means, farming and other technologies, to engineer ecosystems and sustain populations beyond natural limits. The idea that humans must live within the natural environment limits uh, of our planet denies the realities of our entire history. Our planet's human carrying capacity emerges from the capabilities of our social systems and our technologies more than from any environmental limits. The only limit to creating a planet that future generations will be proud of are our imaginations and our social systems. In moving toward a better Anthropocene, the environment will be what we make it. And that was written by Earl Ellis. Overpopulation is not the problem. Published in the New York Times in 2013. The first quote above seems naive by implying that human beings are somehow not a part of nature. But the second quote is truly terrifying. A better Anthropocene? That phrase says it all. In the viewpoint of the techno-optimist, human beings are, the, are destined to be masters of the universe, and the only thing holding us back is the belief that natural limitations are real. This seems to be the implicit message of the Avengers movies. 
that we can transcend all limits with technology, Iron Man, plucky optimism, Captain America, and sheer force of will, Thor. After all, hasn't it worked for us in the past? The Industrial Revolution came along and saved us from Malthus's doomsaying, and a century and a half later, the Green Revolution saved us from Paul Ehrlich's predictions. The problem is that each of those revolutions came with a cost, a tremendous cost, one that has left us uncounted by the one that's left uncounted by the capitalist and techno- technocrats alike. The Industrial Revolution was built on the availability of cheap fossil fuels, first coal, then oil. But we have now passed the point of peak oil, and the availability of easily obtainable fossil fuels is on the decline. While there's still plenty of oil and gas in the ground, the cost of extracting them is going up, so the net energy output is going down. Since the efficacy of renewable and nuclear energy sources is a fraction of the cheap fossil fuels, which are disappearing, the unavoidable outcome will be a drastic reduction of economic production, whether voluntary or compelled by collapse. Similarly, While the Green Revolution allowed us to feed billions more people, it's also come with a cost. Grain yields have gone up, but the efficacy of the food production system has been going down, meaning that the amount of energy required to produce the same amount of grain has actually increased. It's taking more and more energy to keep the whole thing running, and eventually it has to collapse. It's elementary thermodynamics. You can't draw infinite energy from a finite system. At the end of Endgame, Thanos is defeated when Tony Stark uses his Iron Man suit to to steal the Infinity Stones and then snaps his finger while wishing Thanos and his army out of existence. Magic stones and finger snapping. It's hard to imagine a better illustration of wishful thinking. There was one more important ingredient, though. In using the stones, Stark sacrificed himself, which completes the modernist Christian formula for transcending death. Technology plus optimism plus a sacrificial figure. But the fact is that technology is not going to save us. Technology, or rather our technological attitude, is the problem, not the solution. No substitutionary sacrifice is going to save us either, though I expect many unwilling scapegoats will be executed along the way. Wishful thinking isn't going to save us either, whether it takes the form of faith in technology, Iron Man, or in American exceptionalism, Captain America, or in a Christian-style savior, Thor. In the end, death is, as Thanos says, inevitable. Dread it, run from it, destiny still arrives all the same, and now it is here. I'd rather be a human being than a goddess or a cyborg. This isn't an argument for genocide or for eugenics. Some of the best ways to limit population growth are the education and empowerment of women and girls. But so long as we maintain a collective faith in our ability to transcend all natural limits, then we will inevitably hit those limits. I'll say it again. As long as we maintain a collective faith in our ability to transcend all natural limits, then we will inevitably hit those limits. The problem with Avengers Endgame isn't the villain, but the heroes or rather the heroic mentality. As Ernst Becker has, has explained, ironically, it's our very attempts to save ourselves, to make ourselves immortal, which ends up dooming us. Quote, Today we are living the grotesque spectacle of the poisoning of the earth by the 19th century hero system of unrestrained material production. This is perhaps the greatest and most pervasive evil to have emerged in all of history, 
and it may eventually defeat all of humankind, unquote. That was from Ernest Becker, Escape from Evil, 1975. Our enemy isn't death, it's our attempts to avoid death. The myth of human exceptionalism, uncritical techno-optimism, and a Christian savior complex. In the place of Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor, there are other characters in the Avengers movies who would make much better role models. Instead of Iron Man, Pepper Potts. Pepper is the romantic partner of Tony Stark. She continually tries to get Stark to stop. Just stop. Stop his blind drive to invent, to create, to build. Apparently she succeeds for a little while during the interlude between Infinity War and Endgame when Stark settles down and makes a life with Pepper and their child at a lakeside cottage. But then he's back at it again in the second half of Endgame. Stark knows no limits. Pepper does. Instead of Thor, another Marvel heavy hitter, or rather his alter ego, Bruce Banner. No, not the Hulk. Banner. Unlike the Hulk and unlike Thor, Banner understands the dangers of power. He understands that when Hulk smashes, people get hurt, and so he practices restraint. Instead of Captain America, Vision. Vision is an android who falls in love with a human. In contrast to Captain America's optimism, Vision is a fatalist. He knows that humanity is ultimately doomed. He can see us for what we are, but still he sees beauty. Still he loves Unlike Iron Man, Thor, and Captain America, these three characters, Pepper Potts, Bruce Banner, and Vision, understand limitations. They understand that human beings are not, and are not meant to be, gods or supermen or cyborgs. They understand that to be human is to be limited, and ultimately to die. Ironically, it is in our capacity to embrace our finitude, our limited nature, to love it even, that our salvation lies. Not salvation from death, but salvation from a fate worse than death, to watch ourselves become the villains of our own story. Again, it's our capacity to embrace our finitude, our limited nature, to love it even, that our salvation lies. Not salvation from death, but salvation from a fate worse than death, to watch ourselves become the villains of our own story.